Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome back to We Move Through Stormy Weather, a fish podcast where we compare and contrast songs and the evolution of their jamming styles throughout the band's career. My name is Ryan Storm, and today I am joined by Pete Mason. Pete is a teacher and writer living in Albany, New York. Counting Down the Number Line is his fourth children's book with illustrator Ryan Kerrigan. He promotes fan art shows and runs fanart.net, highlighting music-inspired fan creations while supporting the Mockingbird Foundation and Groove Safe. He is also publisher for New York State Music. Pete, say hi. Hey, how you doing, Ryan? Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on today. I'm a huge fan and really excited to talk some fish with you. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on and likewise. Yeah. Um, before we get started and before we talk about what song we're going to do today, I do want to announce, if you haven't seen on the We Move Through Stormy Weather socials already, we do have merch now. Um, hit the link in our bio on uh, Twitter or Instagram, and I will link it in the description of this podcast episode. We've got shirts, hoodies, beanies, iPhone cases, even. Uh, so check that out. Um, very excited about it. So Pete, why don't you talk a little bit about what song you picked for today? Uh, I picked uh, Piper from July eighteenth, nineteen ninety nine, at Camp Oswego. Now, um, why Piper? Well, um, it's definitely one of my favorite versions of the song ever. It's uh, it's kind of overlooked. When people talk about Pipers, everybody's just so used to the 3.0 uh, Pipers where the you know a jam will just bleed into it and just accelerate yeah. back up. And I probably saw a half dozen or a dozen Pipers in that, back in the day where it was a slow build uh, all the way up. And this one... I have a distinct memories of because Oswego was such a memorable show for me. And while all five sets have their merits, the, that third set starting with my soul and then a 25 minute Piper before the cacophony of a catapulticulous smoke on the water, Wilson, everything. There's just so much going on um, after it that this one kind of gets overshadowed briefly. Yeah, I, I was honestly, I hadn't heard this one uh, before, and I'm really glad that uh, you, you recommended it uh, and picked it for this one, so I've now heard it. Um, but I was surprised uh, when you didn't go with SPAC 04, because that's what I naturally <laughs> assumed the other person would pick when I eventually did the Piper episode. I um, I wasn't there, and that's mm. it's hard to say that because I went to a buddy's wedding, and I was... It was that's 2004, so we were watching the setlist roll in on Fantasy Tour, and we were just like, "You have to be, you have to be kidding me!" Like how great it was. Piper? Oh my god. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 I've listened to it, and it is a great, great all time version. But I, I Piper, I Swigo Piper stands above it 
for me just because of my my, my attendance bias. <laughs> oh, I I think just listening, I think this Oswego Piper is much better than the Spag Piper. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I there is in that jam. There's a lot of wasted space, and I think the really mm-hmm. the section from like 17 to 25 minutes is like so phenomenal. But the rest yeah. of the jam isn't that much to write home about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there, there's good chunks to it, and. I definitely listen to it maybe once a year, but Oswego Piper gets a little more rotation because it's just nonstop energy start to finish. There's a good yeah. section. You know, there's five minutes of intro, about seven or eight minutes of machine gun tray, and then the rest of them just all locked in as they slowly dissolve into Caspian. Yeah, it was – It was th- this jam to me when I was listening to it feels a lot like um, a, a, a standard formula for a late 90s jam, but done like – executed perfectly Mm. you know you know there are some where it's not um done as well or they don't sound as dialed into each other or you know it's a little bit messier but i think this oswego piper is just a perfect example of that formula just working Mm -hmm. i I, yeah i I definitely agree they get connected in a different way than they do in, in jams now and that's the beauty of the evolution of the band uh, that different eras give you different um give different sounds and different um different jams different ways that they work together because they're all drawing on their own influences and experiences and this is when they're still you know they're still pretty fresh from 97 98 yeah. was just a continuation of 97 and then 99, Trey got to embark a little bit on some solo stuff. They went to Japan. They went to Japan after, after, after the Yeah. After the, after the, after like the tour. Um, two weeks Phil and Friends. The Phil and Friends in April 99 also. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Page. The whole, everything from 97 all the way through um, New Year's 99 is just a. It, it, it was a hell of a time to get into the band. Um, like it's, it, it's, it was really three years of just, wow. Oh, oh, oh the band's this good. That's great. And it <laughs> hooked me in even more. And then summer 2000, when I went to go see as much show, much, many shows as I possibly could, I would, um, you know, I, I, it was holding up to the bar of 97, 98 and 99. Um, and just remembering what, potential there was and then all of a sudden in the fall they call it quits and it's like okay well yeah so so wait when was your first show uh first show was uh december 13th 97 at the at the the nick in albany nice great show i mean yeah 97 you know yeah that's good also the last also the last time fish ever had an opener um, with uh, oh. Jay, Jay, Jay Willis Pratt and Bionic. They, um, I was just watching his documentary the other day, and it's the first time I've seen footage of that opening band from the show since I was there watching this band play on stage. I'm like, I didn't know we got an opener at these shows. Um, yeah, that's like, and you that's normally actually, don't. <laughs> that, that's like a frequent question I get from my friends. Like, wait, you go see Fish? Like, like they don't have an opener? Like, it's just it's ju- you're going just to see Fish? I'm like, Fish plays for three hours. It's great, mm-hmm. and it's it's they're never a band that I associate with having an opener. Like so mm-hmm. many bands do, and we'll have like you know support acts. They do a three day run, whatever, and just yeah. Fish in my mind, it would be I think it would be weird for them to have an opener. Yeah, beyond like playing uh, Sugarbush in '94 and some random shows in the early '90s, I don't know that they ever like had openers uh, very often. Um, it doesn't really come to mind unless they were on a multi-band bill. Yeah, well, yeah, they did like with Dave Matthews Band and uh, in like '94 a bunch of times. And oh yeah, uh, yep. Panic in like '92, I think. I think Fish yeah, they Panic would yeah switch. they swapped a few shows. Yep. Yeah, that was about the extent of it. So catching fish with fish with an opening band is kind def, of def, definitely unique and rare. That that's a that's a thing to flex on your stats. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so the piper that I picked, um, you know, it's it's hard to find a three piper that stacks up to something uh, mm-hmm. like the the one versions, mostly just because of the slow build um, that really doesn't exist in three um, And so I I went with the uh, the Dix twenty sixteen piper. Um, nice. I, I really like this one. Um, you know, I, I think 
they do some cool things in the drum segment, though you know it's it's not my favorite part of the the jam. But I think it's definitely out of all the marimba lumina slash rotation jams in 2016, I think this is probably the most cohesive example. And the jam before and after the drums part, you know, is is phenomenal, phenomenal. While you know there's four less minutes of build <laughs> in this one the vocals the vocals start just after a minute instead of uh five mm-hmm. um but i i really like the way that you know i, I listened to your version first and then this one and i was kind of thinking to myself like like a little bit of a, a, a parallel in the type one section listening to the way trey approaches that section in 2016 versus 1999 instead of going you know balls to the walls a million notes a minute you know he's he's obviously because you know he can't play a million notes a minute anymore um (laughs) but um the way he approached it melodically and there was a lot of controlled feedback in the 2016 version which i really liked and big sustain um and so i i think it's it's really cool um you know in jams like this to compare uh the sounds from the the two eras. Yeah, I um the the Piper's a song that's had a bit of an evolution um in in a shorter amount of time than say Hood or um well Hood's probably the best example because people used to not shout Hood during it and that's a completely different variation. Um we have uh with Piper it was always just a slow build. It slowly creeps up on farmhouse. Uh, the album there's, um, um, there's some crowd noise worked into the, uh, worked into the studio track. Um, and it gave it that feel of like, Oh yeah, Piper's coming. It's going to be great. And, uh, there's, there's some other shows where I remember it would just pop up. And if it was a slow build, it was just like, yes, all right, we're going to build up the anticipation. And then I think something happened toward the end of 2.0 and working to 3.0 where Trey was just wanted to get to it and yeah. just wanted to just wanted to play. And then in uh, especially in 3.0, it was, um, you know, keep the flow going because Piper kind of works best out of um, some high energy jam, you know, it's, you know, a disease Piper or, uh, um, you know, a 2001 Piper or you know anything where there's some something preceding it that's going to give it some energy like what what comes before that dick's piper um uh, it comes uh, out of steam same yeah perfect because like it can slowly work out of that and just a steam can kind of build out of something similar it yeah. gi- gives it that room but um you know with steam it's like if it's a slow funk outro moving out moving into something new they could take it for a spin but then sometimes they just like, all right, we're we're rocking and rolling. Why are we gonna um, be patient here? Yeah. Um, what well, was actually I, even even though it's you know it's it's not a slow build by any means. It's interesting to hear my dad pointing this out when I was you know I, I watched the that Dick's show last night. Uh, my dad pointed out to me that right as they started Piper, um, Fishman tried to push the tempo a little bit, and Trey was like no and like slowed it down oh. for the intro, which interesting because you know wasn't a very long intro and you know i think i think the closest we've come to a slow build in 3.0 is the dicks 2019 piper Mm -hmm. um because uh, i remember at the time being uh like a oh my god like that's much longer than we've seen in a while yeah i'm sitting here trying to remember the last time that we got a slow slow build and that was that was it, and that was uh, it, it was welcome. And you know, some folks are like, oh my god, they're really taking it slow. And I'm like, yeah, this is how it used to be. It's uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, the Piper, the the right way. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and it was interesting to me. I think um, also how quickly this song went from being like no jam at the time of its debut to being this 25 minute monster in just a couple of years. Um, you know, if you listen to the versions from like summer 97, there's, they're like four minutes and it just cuts off at the end of the verse and they don't have a jam, which is cool. At least, like at least the first few versions. Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's some that are just truncated short ones that might be four or five minutes long. And it's just like, let's hurry up and get to the next one. And it's, you know, that little bit of ADD tray or just the, just the 
drive to push through a lot of songs. Um, like the dinner and a movie we saw last week um, uh, uh, from New Hampshire, that Mike's groove is huge. And there's a whole bunch of songs built into it. But as you start to look at it, it's like, all right, they're just going to like stack this one and you'll get 10 minute versions of songs rather than some super exploratory thing. Right. And that's, you know, and, and when they're feeling like there's no obligation to rush and that any song can go into the flow, that's when I think they shine the best. Definitely. And I, I think that, that, I mean, that dinner in a movie is a good example of like the, I, I think, I think uh, Scott Marks called it a type B set list. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's a cool um, way of looking at a show instead of a show with like, oh my God, like a five song set. You're getting bust outs and antics and great flow and high energy, which honestly is like, you know, just as good in my eyes to see live. And, you know, the, 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 the issue is they, they would go kind of in the middle uh, for a lot of years uh, in early 3.0, I think, where, you know, there wouldn't be long jams and, you know, you would have a set list that kind of had was more songy, but you weren't getting like bust outs particularly or like wild song selection it was just like rip chords which is interesting yeah the 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 rip chords can be painful there's definitely 2010 and a couple of years after that or definitely some years where we'd find that as the, as the band was getting their full groove back um and piper it, piper is no uh stranger to the rip chord where it just all of a sudden Oh, you were you were getting there. It was getting out there, it and that's ripcorded. And I'm pretty sure there are a lot of ripcords into Piper. Yeah, I feel like that that, that's a song that Trey, you know, ripcord friendly on both ends. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just... the um, <laughs> it's the human centipede of uh, fish songs. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, oh, that's <laughs> so. <laughs> so let's 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 go let's go into these jams a little bit more. Um. I think one of the cool things about the, the Type 1 flamethrower shreddy portion of the Oswego one um, is that Trey's use of the reverse delay, um, which was a big hallmark of uh, 99. I think he really started using it a lot um, that summer, if I remember correctly. I think that's when it started becoming very widely used. Um, and I really like listening to the way he solos over that because – the way that his reverse delay works, it's when he plays a note, it doesn't immediately play it backwards. There's like a, a couple seconds of delay before the note comes out backwards. So he's playing without getting any sound out immediately. So I, I feel like that's not, I, you know, I'm not a guitarist, but I feel like that's not easy to do. Uh, same, I'm not a guitarist. The way that he, um, you know, you know, starts to make his way into the jam and the, and the, use of the delay gives it that um, it, it gives it like a, uh, a staggered uh, feel to it as like he's playing the notes and then they're coming out moments later. I, and with whatever pedal he's using on that, it, it uh, especially towards the end of the song, it really um, jumps out as something unique and that you don't hear. And all the while um Fish and Gordo are holding down a wonderful groove as he's just kind of layering over everything. Yeah, I, I think Mike's bass line is phenomenal in this one. Um, I wish I wish we had a soundboard of it uh, so I could hear it in all its glory. I, I, uh, I, I do hope that one day Camp Oswego is released in, in its all of its glory with some bonus material. I think, I, I think one thing that's preventing him from doing that is that there's Sun Seals and Del McCory sit-ins. There's quite a few covers um, throughout the the whole all, both days, and I, I would just love to see proper packaging on on a on a box set like that because that was a very fun, unique weekend, especially a festival mid tour with uh, other bands playing. Like it was a true festival. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's the only festival Fish can you know had planned out to have other bands at. Did they, at the at Clifford Ball, they had an orchestra of some kind, I think, didn't they? Oh, yeah. They had that orchestra playing in between sets. That was yeah. – oh, wow. Yeah, good good, yeah, good memory. There's a name for them too. Um, I'm blanking on it. 
Yeah, I don't remember if it's from up up north or Vermont, but yeah, that was a cool set. That was that that was a hard find back in the day for uh, tapes. You had to look out if that was a filler or uh, or something. Yeah, um, I, I think you know what they should just do a late '90s festival box set, charge a few hundred dollars for it, and everyone will buy it. Just do, just uh, do. Yeah. Went Lemon Wheel Oswego Cypress, <laughs> massive box they, set. The, I I think then the day comes. Um, it looks like it's the Plattsburgh Orchestra, but I got to look into that. Um, they. Um, Oh, Champlain, maybe the Champlain Valley Symphony. They, um, I, I think when the day comes that they start to release box sets beyond, they've already done Clifford Ball, but we haven't gotten uh, anything since. So I think they're just going to take their time and try to present it as properly as possible and probably hit on some anniversaries because next year's 20, went 25th. 25. Yeah, I feel so old just thinking about that. That's. <laughs> 25 years of the great went and then you get 25 years of lemon wheel 25 years of oswego and cypress and then a little bit of a break before uh it so yeah there's a, if the fish yeah, is looking know, to do, do that and there's that that bootleg fm rip of the went uh which i have um mm-hmm. which you know it it's better than the audience recording but it's it's not the same as a a properly mixed and mastered soundboard which. Yeah, I don't know which quality I have for the went. I, I know I've mi- whatever uh, has been shared through uh, from the archives shows um, has definitely been worked into the uh, whatever recording I have. So there's like, you know, normal odd and then crispy soundboard track and then moving. Yeah, on. I think it's it's uh, disease and uh, gin from the went that were on a yeah. uh, live beta from the archives mm-hmm. uh, from a, a while ago. But yeah. Kevin Shapiro, if you're listening to this, release the festivals. <laughs> <laughs> release the festival cuts. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do think uh, Oswego is cool because of the fact that it's mid tour, and I think it gets really overlooked um, in terms of late '90s festivals because of it being mid tour and stuff like you know the Went and Clifford Ball and Lemon Wheel being like you know grand finale to the tour, and it's kind of like a wrap-up, and also it's in the mm-hmm. same year as Big Cypress. So, you know, if someone thinks Festival from 99, they're thinking Cypress, not really. Yeah, Cypress. and and that's part of why Oswego gets, doesn't get as much love as it should, and it, and it definitely does get some, but, I mean, having, that, that, that whole weekend was incredible. I, I was, I was uh, taking summer classes at Syracuse and moving into what was technically my junior year. They, um, it was an hour drive. So when my buddies got there, we were, we went from door to campsite within an hour, barely sat in traffic, got there Thursday night. Mm -hmm. No, we got there. No, we got there on Friday. No, wait. (laughs) No, we got there on, we got there on Friday and fish played Saturday, Sunday. Um, We got there on Friday, nice and early, got to set ourselves up, get situated and find our friends, which back then you didn't have cell phones, so you had to either put a message on the board or luck out. And that was how things kind of worked out. And as alarmingly hot as it was, you felt like you were still going to make it uh, through the weekend. Um, Where were you a, during uh, this Piper? How far from the um, state? Uh, well, let's say halfway back off to the right on Mike's side. And... That's where we were for pretty much the whole show. You mean um, you mean you mean Trey side in '99? Oh yeah, Trey side. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. It, it's been uh, it's been a minute from that. I would love to see video from there. I always I always forget about the the uh, the switch sa- stage setup for '99 and 2000. Trey over on it was right. it, yeah that was how I got used to it. So in 2000 when they moved some things around and. Fish moved to the back, and when they returned, it was slightly, you know, pretty much the same. I was like, oh, okay, that's traditional. So when I went back and saw photos of Fish playing off to the right and us looking at, uh, you know, the the glass divider between him and Mike, uh, that was new to me. I, I was so used to like, oh, this is, must be how it is. Bands just never change their, their position on stage, and they're not like a huge production-wise band where there's 
you know, like gigantic riser and um, like pyrotechnics you know, and pyrotechnics like and yeah. and banners and artwork and everything. So, yeah, that, that's another uh, thing I yeah. love uh, uh, so much about fish is that there's no like flair. Like they're just like four guys mm-hmm. with their ridiculously large rigs of gear. Yep. They just go on stage and they just play. Yeah, it's it's one of the nice things is that they don't go for all the pomp and circumstance. They just get out there, play, and let the music do it, and like Kuroda do his thing. Yeah. And if they if and if it's and if it does come down to them doing some sort of dec- stage decoration, you know it's something special, like New Year's or yeah, you know um, the Kazma box set. And if there's some sort of performance element to it, it's Fishman running around the stage during Hold Your Head Up. <laughs> you know, yes, like, ex- ex- exactly. Nonsense. We don't we, we 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 don't desire a lot. You know, just just play the music. You want to do something fun? Sure, but. You know, half of us are closing our eyes and enjoying the moment, and the other half are watching the light show, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't need crazy, you know, backup dancers and stuff, unless, like, New Year's gag. Um, mm-hmm. back, to the, back to the music. Let's, ta- let's talk a little more about the music. Um, one thing um, I really liked, another thing I really liked about the Oswego Piper, I know it, it sounds like I'm really not championing my version very much, but, you know, this is a new jam for me, and I really enjoyed it. Um... At when when Trey switches to uh, rhythm uh, at like eleven and a half minutes, um, Fishman uh, starts like playing along with Trey really well, and mm-hmm. you know yet another example of his talent as a drummer and his connection with Trey. so cool the way he you know within seconds of trey latching onto rhythm fishman is like basically trading licks with him and playing you know imitating what Trey's doing on the drums and it's, it's so cool how you know while he's not you know he's not a melodic player because he's you know he's playing drums um he can still you know trade licks with and feed off of what trey is doing and it's it's awesome yeah, the dynamic between Trey and Fish and really any guitarist and, and their drummer is one that I, you know, honestly, I, I kind of overlooked it for, for, for a little while because, you know, you associate bass and drums with the rhythm section and the keys and the guitarist can, can link up and they're right next to each other. But Fish and Trey have a connection that goes a little bit deeper on the musical and, and personal level, and they will come up with some uh, sync that just launches them into another um, uh, another level. They're um, that that they that right there. I think if we have to talk about who the two best musicians in the band are, it's Trey and Fish, and to have them get get on board. It's easy for Mike to just get right into the groove of the fish sets, and for Paige to fit right in in the right spot. It's like you know they're the, you know they're the primaries, and the other two are the secondaries, um, just in terms of where these jams kind of come from um, generally. 
Yeah, and I think it's interesting also to look at, you know, the stage setup here. You talked about, you know, you know, the keyboardists and guitarists usually being the ones that are doing all the interplay and whatnot. But Trey and Paige are on opposite ends of the stage, you know, summer ninety nine. And the only person that Trey is next to here is Fishman. So, you know, he's obviously gonna be more dialed into what Fishman's doing than what Paige is doing on the other side of the stage, I think, especially because, you know, Paige just coming through his monitors and Fishman he can probably hear because of proximity to the drums. So it, it's 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 cool to look at not only that they're dialed in, but why they you know, stuff like this might be more liable to happen here. And and mm-hmm. while we're on the topic of Fishman's insane drumming, in my piper during the drum segment, it's so cool to listen to the different layers of the percussion. Like if, if you dissect, you know, the mess of drums that's happening into what Trey is playing on the Marimba Lumina, you know, Paige and Mike kind of dicking around on the cymbals and whatever, and just Fishman holding down the beat and like to me that's what makes this drums more listenable than a lot of like you know drums from like the dead um because you know while those can be interesting sometimes you know there are some sections of that where it's like mickey and billy just kind of randomly hitting different percussion things without any sort of form and 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 this you've got a definite form the whole time like fishman is still just driving the jam um I, I just think it, it's really cool to listen to that during that section. Yeah. With, um, you know, it, it, it's impressive that what, what, what Fishman can do on the drums uh, compared to what Mickey and Billy do in the, in the dead and, and all the other bands, they, um, the two of them play off of each other, but at times it can seem cacophonous and they, they're just kind of hitting, Random things, like you said, uh, Fish, on the other hand, can take um, what Trey wrote on a drum machine, in the case of Limb by Limb, and play it on drums to the point where it's like, how are you doing this? And mm-hmm. he's just it's, – it's like an octopus is on, on, on the kit back there because it just doesn't seem like this can – you know, it's human. And that, you know, this is why Fish is such a uh, – you know, we all know he's a great drummer, but I think – uh, compared to his peers and other drummers in music history, he's just underrated and, and overlooked. But the Absolutely. work he puts into it and the skill he has and the range he has and what he can do is truly phenomenal. It's it's why he and Trey are on just you know on on in so in sync on on a musical level. Yeah, and and another really cool thing about his drumming that I I feel like I talk about all the time is like. His, his his touch on the drums. You know, he's not hammering away at everything. He he has a remarkably light touch if you watch him play. Like, obviously, sometimes he'll get more into it and will hit harder. But most of the time, he's very gentle. And it's it's really cool to listen to. There was, there was an interview with Stuart Copeland where he said when he went to see Fish uh, once, you know, after, you know, he had been with Trey and Oysterhead, you know, Trey was like, come see the band. And so, you know, he went to see Fish and he was, he was, I think, I think he said this was, it may, this may have been in 2015 when he saw them. Um, but he was in the audience and he was listening to Fishman's drums and how like, you know, loud they were. And then he went like side stage and he was watching Fishman play and was like blown away by how he's like barely touching the drums and getting so much sound and so mm-hmm. much depth out of them, which is like, it's just a testament to his insane talent, you know, where like I, I think I think Fishman probably practices the most out of anyone in the band. Um I think he oh, does uh, like oh, four or easily, five hours easily. a day at least. Yeah. Which yeah, is, the fact that he's still practicing at that point, I uh I, you know, if you're gonna be great at something, you gotta keep practicing at it constantly, you know. You you know, you can't you know, you, you any any skill or talent's going to fade if you don't put a little effort into it and keep it regular no matter if it's your you know your 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 day job or your hobby or you know just something you're passionate about and i the the work that fishman puts into it is something that any drummer who's going to take want to be taken seriously should really consider is how much are you practicing and how much time are you putting into it be off of your off of a simple drum pad you need the whole kit 
and you can produce something, you know, far greater than you imagine the more you practice. And it's, you know, again, that, 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 that goes across life in general, but you know, for, for, for music, especially that, that skill is only honed by, by consistent practice and with fish and shows fully. Yeah. And you know what? And also if you want to be, uh, as good of a drummer as Fishman, you got to start out, uh, your drumming career like he did in the early eighties where he'd wake up at like five or six in the morning, take a bunch of acid, go back to sleep for a couple <laughs> hours, wake up and then play drums all day. Yeah. Which that thank you, is thank you to thank you to the Undermine podcast for sharing that because that was really interesting to hear. Yeah, shout out to all the drummers out there who are going to try that and see how that goes. Um, <laughs> that's that's one of the most daring things I've I've heard of, and that that was news to me off of Undermine. I um, <laughs> can't imagine going back to sleep uh, and then going and you know waking up drums. and being like. Here we are. Okay. <laughs> yeah, crazy, crazy. And then another really cool thing Fishman does uh, in this Dick's 2016 Piper is coming out of drums. Um, and he was doing it a little bit at the beginning of the jam. He's switching between, you know, the regular, like, charging a head jam they were doing in and this halftime hi-hat beat really, really well and seeming like in perfect time going off of trays you know like deep nasty you know wad delayed notes um and it it adds a really cool element to the jam at when he switches the speed like that and i i think that's something you know we don't see all that often or we'll see it for like he'll go halftime for a couple of measures like in gin i know like he does that in the went gin um but it it, it was really cool to my ears to hear something like that Further testament to him is drum. Yeah, between the, I think I, I think between the two versions, you get a, a nice full range of where the two of them can go. You know, it with Piper Fishes gets locked in with uh, Gordo, and with um, the Dick's Piper, you get Trey locked in with Fish. So there's a there's, there's a different dynamic between the two, and it leads to two different jams um, as a result. 
definitely. And, you know, you can see in 2016 there was a lot more, you know, Paige was stepping up a lot more. Um, the, you know, this was his kind of, like, you know, the last year before he really started taking charge in, like, 2017. Um, but, you know, when he, like, he resists the drums jam, you know, for a while. Like, Trey goes to the marimba, the mic's on percussion, and Paige is basically trading licks on piano with them on drums and percussion, which is one of my favorite parts of the jam. Um, you know, he's just, he's having fun over there. And it, it's just, it's a really cool sound um, hearing, you know, Trey or Fishman, uh, you know, echoing what Paige is doing or being so locked in and not just in their own little percussion world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paige will take a, um, Page will sometimes take a different route. When I was going through the Swego Piper, I had to go back a couple times and just really hone in on what he was doing because it's uh, certainly not as audible as Trey, but what he's putting together underneath is, you know, kind of forming the backbone of uh, what Trey's doing. And, you know, it, uh, it, it, Page can kind of give it that outer space galactic sound, not galactic, the band, just kind of a spacey cosmic that's right like a cosmic feel to it where there's like you know some psychedelia and funk worked into uh into what he's thrown into the mix definitely and i i think there's less of that in this you know 1999 jam than a lot of other 1999 jams like he's on piano for the for the vast majority of it he goes to the clav at like 16 and a half minutes um and and trey actually does a lot of the uh the ambient stuff in this jam like you know, he sets up uh, ambient loops um, when he goes to the, you know, to, into the funk zone of mm-hmm. the Fuego Piper. And then I didn't hear when he started them, but I noticed um, around the 20 minute mark or so, his like little chirpy keyboard uh, loops were going. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's when you know that, that, that when when you get like a little something extra mixed in, that's when it's like, all right, moving to the next section of this jam, and it'll it's like, where's this one gonna go? What what what's how's that gonna cause the others to react? Um, and and what's the next route for this whole uh, for this whole jam? So so it's always neat when you see Paige stand up, get to the clav, or you know, Mike walk over and and switch something up um it or you know fish hops on the the marimba yeah they I, I, yeah it, it's it, it opens up a new opportunity and that's the that that's the beauty of improv you can start out with just adding one new thing in and everybody just kind of goes off on that tangent yes and it's a wonderful thing um i i think yeah <laughs> last yes. few minutes the last few minutes of the oswego piper um, I think, you know, it's 25 minutes long, so I can't really call it a ripcord, but I think they were, they started to go off into this, like, started led by Mike, like Trey, you know, I think was looking for the out into Caspian or like the space out into, you know, ambience, but Mike started mm-hmm. into this cool um, progression that reminded me of the, uh, the 123019 tweezer, like that middle synth section. Um, mm-hmm. like a, so Mike, Mike started playing kind of something I, reminiscent of that. And I, I was, I'm kind of upset that they didn't, you know, go into explore that because he started going and it sounded like, you know, Paige and Fishman were going to be on board with it. But then Trey was like, no, and <laughs> went off into, you know, it was like, we're going into Caspian. Um, but th- there was some, you know, there, there was a moment where, there's possibility of another like very melodic jam, which I think, you know, I love when that happens. When the, that tweezer you're speaking of, it, there, there were parts of the Piper where I was like, Oh yeah, that kind of, it's got, it's got a little bit of that. And you know, if any jamming is refined, just, just, Oh, so well, um, it's the, it's that, uh, 123019 tweezer. Um, with all the different sections and there's a there's a part I want to say eight or nine minutes in where it's just Paige just takes it up on t- t- takes it up another notch and it feels like you're just floating the way that he's pushing it and then the jam follows that that t- takes uh takes that route and 
Yeah, it's oh, it's just so beautiful. I can picture it though with the way Kuroda hit the lights in the garden. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's beautiful. Yeah, like the the yeah the twenty minute mark of that MSG tweezer is one of my favorite things that the band has done in the last bunch of years. Like it's so gorgeous and just like the you know as a keyboard player hearing Paige use the synth like that is just phenomenal. It's so good. Yeah, as as I've gotten to know Paige's uh, background, history, and influences, you know, he pulls a lot from New Orleans and the meters and such. And it's cool to see what he can throw in that is in that range. And then there's the other stuff, which is is more ambient, electronic side of things. You know, um, I always wanted it this way. Uh, Page EDM thing and the new album he just put out. Those our areas for him to shine because if he's got just a, 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 a set, he's got a unique set of skills. He's got all the tools he needs to make it happen. And he's doing some stuff that we should rightly be just like, you know, paying attention to and, and uh, deeply analyzing. Cause he's, you know, I, I feel like if anybody has a solo career that is, one to look forward to down the road. It's him. Cause he hasn't really done too much solo work or, or tours and boy, yeah. he could, you know, I don't know if you know who Yanni is, but I can totally see Paige pulling a Yanni and, and having just keyboards all around him in a ring and playing the, wherever he played the Parthenon or Coliseum or something. Um, I hope I'm thinking of the right guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yanni. And not the other guy is Raffi. That's another, another thing. <laughs> Banana phone Raffi. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I in my head, I was conf- head, I was confusing them, but no, it's uh, yeah, definitely Yanni. Um, he's That'd got some fun. cool stuff, but Paige yeah, to see what Paige of, does. Paige writing an album of banana phone like songs <laughs> with like with like crazy spooky synths in the background. Um, yeah, I, I think I think yeah, Paige is. You know, we we're t- you're talking about earlier about Fishman being a really underrated drummer. I think Paige is also just you know in pop culture and stuff like that when people talk about the greatest keyboardists of all time you know mm-hmm. people aren't really talking about page i think i think you know out like i think trey's the only one out of these guys that will make like you know the rolling stone list of you know best at their yeah. in- instruments even though all four of them <laughs> rightly deserve to be on the list whether it be at the top or somewhere on and you know if you're doing yeah. i i i would argue you know i i'm i think they're when the four of them are on stage together they are all the best at their instrument of all time mm-hmm. um i think on their own maybe not like they're obviously my favorite um but um they are up there you know if you take them out of the fish context just like you know just mike is a bass player just fish uh page as a keyboard player um, you know, they're, they're all easily, I think, you know, top 30 of all time, uh, at least. Yeah. I think, I think fish is underrated. And if there was an, if there was a real legitimate thorough examination of, uh, you know, cla- you know, best drummers of all time. Um, and it wasn't too overloaded with jazz drummers, but just, yeah. you, know, to, you know, just to give a little chance to everybody else, I think you'd see him on there for sure. Um, I'm sure there's, you know, if you know, you'd have Stanton Moore and Fishman on there among others, because you, the, the you know the, the talent they have behind the kit, can't can't just be deferred to. Hey, he's great on the radio, or hey, he's great with this band, like or like cool, hey, he played a cool Max Weinberg, but yeah, like like if somebody's like, oh yeah, Max Weinberg's like, no, Max Weinberg is a drummer, but he's not like something who's been groundbreaking or people are looking up to and emulating, you know, Fishman, yeah. they are. Um, Stanton Moore, they definitely are. Yeah, like um, innovating, are... like doing something like, yes. you know, taking drumming in a new direction. Like some someone that, you know, I've, I've, I've been listening to a lot of Snarky Puppy lately and someone like Larnell Lewis. Yep. Who's insane. Um, you know, I, 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 I think, yeah, like, yeah, Max Weinberg's a good example. Like great drummer. Um, but you know, 
Springsteen songs and Springsteen shows, while Springsteen is awesome, like I, you know, mm-hmm. I saw him in concert a bunch of years ago and it was phenomenal. There's not really much room for innovation or, you know, improv in them for, you know, for him to do really exciting stuff the way that you know Fishman does, uh, you know, at a fish show because they're not playing, you know, a 20 minute Thunder Road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's. I've seen Bruce and, you know, I saw Max Weinberg plenty when he was on Conan um, as a band leader. It's, you know, you're playing standards, you know, you just got to know the set list, but you know, some, you know, any, any band where they got to improv and work in different genres consistently throughout, not just the show, but a jam and, and mix it up and go from, you know, throwing some African drumming to some jazz, to some blues, to just some straight rock is yeah, you go not from an easy like- feat. Gaiuti to a Zeppelin cover. Yeah. And Fishman can just do that on a dime. Yeah, and, and, and Gaiuti's a composition with or- that's originally written for orchestra. And then you and have the drumming and the drumming for that song is looks like so impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I Gaiuti was always that was one of the songs that that hooked me when I got uh, Story of the Ghost and I hadn't heard it live yet. And I was like, holy, this is a, you know, it's whatever, seven or eight minute song on there. And it's a hell of a journey, but it's the, you know, there's no let up. And then when you see an orchestra do it or Trey do it um, outside of the band, it takes on a little bit of a different nature. But when you're playing with fish, it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And it's, it's, it's always cool because I think, I think I would say that Fishman is the one in the band that, you know, flubs the least, I would say followed by, you know, I think it goes in order of most to least like Trey and then like huge gap page, (laughs) like Fishman. (laughs) Yep. Um, but it's, you know, playing, you know, all the compositions like Yam, Reba, Gaiuti, stuff like that. And like not screwing up, you know, even when, you know, they haven't played, you know, Gaiuti in 50 or 60 shows, say, you know, because we, we get it usually like once or twice a year. So maybe not that much, but like, you know, they haven't played it in months. And that I feel like that's a song that's, you know, if you haven't played it in, in months, it's not easy to just pick up out of your pocket and be like, oh, yeah, I remember this, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you when they talk about how they do set list construction and while Trey has that list of songs in front of him that they had discussed earlier in the day, he may pull Fluffhead out of his ass because he wants to play Fluffhead and, you know, mm-hmm. they all have to be ready. So it, it's, it's crazy. The amount of the, the amount of time that they all have put into, you know, learning all this material and practicing their skills. And while, you know, maybe they don't practice as much as they used to, um, with the exception of probably Fishman, um, it's still incredible to listen to how tight they are, whether, you know, while some of the composed sections may be sloppier nowadays, I don't think we, like, since, um, you know, the last bunch of years, there I don't think there's been a night where we've had improvisation where they haven't been all, like, dialed in. You know, there's obviously there's ADHD Trey where he may ripcord a jam, but when they are in a jam, they are all four quarters of the same brain, bar nothing. Agreed. They can, you know, the the four of them work together probably better than any other foursome. Um, You'd have a hard time making an argument for a foursome because, I mean, first of all, they've been together as that band with that lineup since 86. And uh, you, I, I can't think of a band that's been doing that that long and hasn't replaced somebody at some point because of death or quitting or whatever. Um, and there's, there's just never going to be anything like it, no matter what jam bands pop up next they're going to be in the shadow of these four and how they've brought themselves together. Yeah. It's, 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 it's remarkable how, you know, 35 years and the four of them are still here and they still like each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like they're just like, like, it's not not like, um, 
Townsend and Daltrey where they like kind of spite each other a little bit, but they're, you know, they, they have, they have some sort of an understanding. Yeah, um, they're like, we'll go on uh, tour and we'll make money. Yeah. But like, they're not like chilling and laughing. and Yeah. Fish isn't touring just to make money off of us, you know? Yeah. Like they're touring because they are having the time of their lives and you see it with stuff like, you know, the stage antics, like, the fishman hold your head up when fish is like twerking in front of 20,000 people in an arena. And the other three are just like, like just laughing. <laughs> like what other band sells out the MGM grand in Vegas and the drummer wears a muumuu plays a vacuum and twerks. And the fans set the record for um, most alcohol sales at the venue. We did. Are- Oh yes, we did in that, and that was just in. Uh, I believe that was in 2016. Oh we probably God. did it in 2014, but we beat out some boxing event because I know there's <laughs> undercards at boxing, but we're we're gonna beat that in, in a night or three or whatever. Like, you know, kind of proud of that. Kind of makes us, but you know, it's Vegas. You know, I love I, it. I would. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, it's you know, it's. There, there has never been a band like them, and there will never be another band like them. You know, this is a this is a once in a lifetime, once in an ever occurrence. I think. The, the I think you're 100 percent right. And no matter how many, no matter what jam bands um, pop up, or what unique gag there is, or how they how a band tries to emulate the the magic of fish. It, it, it won't happen. You know, it's um, the disco biscuits are probably one of the only examples I can think of that come close because it's still the same. They replaced, they replaced the drummer. Um, but that was, a, that was very, uh, um, friendly terms. Um, cause he went off to be a doctor. They, uh, they're the only band that I think is comparable, but still they're just much smaller. And, um, you know, they're, they're in the same vein, and they're certainly not copying them. But you know what, jam band isn't a foursome at this point. Um, and with guitar, drums, bass, and and, and I mean uh, a lot of a lot of geez. jam bands have either percussion or a second guitarist or both. Yeah, um, and they'll and they'll change it up and mix it up slightly. Yeah, and it can be very, um, you know, everybody's kind of following in the in the shadow of fish in the same way that a lot of bands were falling uh, falling in the shadow of the dead in the 70, 70s and eighties. And unless you know, if it was the seventies, it was did you come up with the dead? Are you going to just kind of open with them and people follow you too, or what's going to be new here? And I think the dead were such a force that you didn't really have anybody that was ready to do that. But then you have fish who took a little bit of a page of the dead and a little bit of page of some other bands and artists and made their own, made their own destiny. And now there's a fish has become the more, um, and is this a word emulatable, uh, bands where yeah. there it's, let's just follow within, let's follow what they're doing. Cause it works. And fish's method did work from the beginning of, you know, playing college towns and, those fans spreading the word to, to, to younger kids and, and and those folks showing up and you know doing a little bit of what the dead did playing playing their own festivals doing things that are groundbreaking and not just following the same vein of uh, you know doing the same old same old it's it's um, one of the best parts of this is that we it's yeah you know, we're seeing this history get made as we're a part of this and go down the road and we'll be able to say yeah we we knew all about that and I'm glad you're all catching it now and let us tell you how great it was. So yeah. we're, it's, it's like the open secret. Yeah. I, I think that that's a perfect place to wrap up uh, the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you said, best band, you know? Um, and yeah. So thank you so much, Pete, uh, for coming on and talking about Piper and all the other things that we talked about. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, and yeah, thanks again so much. Hey, thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, looking uh, looking forward to hopefully seeing some fish this summer. Mm-hmm. We all hope. Uh, yeah, yep. so thanks uh, for everybody for listening to this episode of We Move Through Stormy Weather. Have a fantastic day, and I will see you next time for our season one finale.
welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.